Hi everyone, I am Lorianne. I'm the host of Bleep Midlife Bulimia. And I, in our episode today, I'm really pleased to have Elizabeth Hall. Now this is exciting because she is an intuitive eating counselor and life coach. Thank you so much for being with me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So I have the first question. How did you get into this intuitive eating? Yes, great question. So as most people, I got into this um, trying to heal my own relationship with food. Um, And at the time, I didn't realize that's what I was doing, because I think um, we tend to go along thinking everything is the way it's supposed to be. But I didn't realize that dieting perpetually was not really the way it was supposed to be. So um, I was a chronic dieter. And I was just kind of, it was, it was escalating. The behaviors were getting a little more, there was a little more binging, a little more restriction. It was getting more and more frustrating. Um, And so I started to get curious, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? And that's when I started to explore my relationship with food, which brought me eventually to intuitive eating. So there's the question about, you know, the dieting and of course with bulimia, that is, I was say it's a diet gone wrong, but it becomes more than that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if there's a myth that it's all about, you know, your weight, it's not, it goes beyond that. So my curiosity is, is what is it that triggers when you start these diets and the restrictions, what leads to that binging? Would you have an answer or at least a quasi answer to that even? <laughs> I, I do. And, and I discovered the answer for myself. I, I, I initially thought it was because I was in a bigger body as a child and that made me uncomfortable and that put me on the dieting path. But I realized I had to go a little bit farther back and realize I actually used food to soothe and comfort myself a lot as a child. I was very sensitive and I just took everything so personally and so seriously. And so I I was trying to protect myself and soothe myself. And I turned to food and I ended up, and, and I think I just naturally also had a larger body shape than the rest of my siblings, which happens in families. And so the two things combined just made me feel like food was a problem. And that I had to somehow control food, I had to control my body. And that just kind of put me on the diet path. Um, And then once I was on it, I again, I just thought that was normal. I mean, people normalize it all the time. So I just continued with that behavior through my teens and 20s and 30s and into my 40s, before I realized, I think something needs to change here. Wow. It's interesting you say that because me myself as well I was a tall child mm-hmm. and I remember at the age of nine my friends saying that I was fat when we were all on the scale and everyone's standing there but it wasn't it's just I was taller about five inches taller than them mm-hmm. but somehow back then at nine I didn't associate it with food for some reason I just associated with me just being big but later mm-hmm. on it changed uh the one thing I was wondering as well in these when you tended to binge, was there anything that triggered it? When I tended to binge? Yes. Is that what you're asking? Yes. Um, well, and again, that's, that's what I wasn't entirely aware of. Um, I thought it was just my lack of control around food, but now I realize it was, it was one of two things, maybe some more, but one is um, when you restrict on a diet, you tend to then uh, kind of the rubber band snaps and you end up binging because you've been restricting. So that's partly it. And then I think the other was, I just was not connected to my emotions. I had sort of shut them down so early. I'd become very disconnected from my body. 
So if there was a sensation of discomfort, that could lead to a binge because I didn't have the process of, of either being with the discomfort or, and I had always turned to food as my comfort. So that could lead to a binge. Um, but again, I used to make that all about the food and all about my size or um, my body. And so I kind of missed the point entirely of, of what that behavior was trying to do for me, because ultimately it was trying to do something good for me. That's interesting. So we were talking about that. I was saying how uh, one thing that's very common with bulimics is their fear of food. And mm -hmm. it's not so much they it's the fear that that one food, like we were saying, like either chips or ice cream or something, you have a one, even just one chip or whatever, it can trigger the fact that, okay, well, that's a negative. That's what we were talking about restrictions. These are foods that are not allowed. So if you have that and you allowed yourself that, then it will just open what we call like the can of worms or the fridge and everything else that goes with it. Mm -hmm. Would you have any suggestions on that front? Yeah, I, I mean, again, having the awareness and the compassion. So, so awareness first in that this isn't about the food. This isn't about whether you eat the food or don't eat the food. There's something else that's sort of leading to that action or that reaction. Um, there's something underneath the fear. And so stepping back and, and getting curious, whether it's with a therapist or a coach or a friend or your journal, somehow getting curious about what is underneath that fear um, is, is partly um, one way to, to sort of disconnect from the automatic response that it's all about the food and I can't have the food and continuing to focus on the food as the source of the problem, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. This is uh, another question I have is, uh, again, there is a lot of bulimia who will reach out in, in support groups and say, I really want to have a binge right now, but I'm scared and I don't want to. And you were saying about journaling in that particular moment, they're obviously aware of it. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking what could help not continue and not do the binge. I mean, I know that's the hardest thing, believe me, like I said, I struggle with bulimia and I kept saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Then I do it. Mm -hmm. But would there be some suggestions as to say, well, okay, now I've veered my mind off a bit. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, again, one thing is to build up your toolbox of things that can calm and soothe your nervous system. Cause in that moment, there's just some discomfort for whatever reason. Um, and, and your go-to has been the food. So also, again, the compassion piece, like just having, and even if you have to practice the compassion piece, practice that as well. So having complete compassion for whatever you do in the moment, instead of adding judgment to whatever it is you're doing. So just being able to say, okay, if I do it, I do it. And, and once you've done it, if I've done it, I've done it. Like, not having any additional judgment on top of it, because that sometimes just makes it cycle even harder. Um, so we want to sort of stop and be okay with whatever is happening um, and have it, have that compassion for ourselves. Um, Cause again, our bodies and our minds think they're doing something to save us and protect us. Um, that said, then the work becomes, how do I disrupt this cycle? Which again, it can be new tools to calm our nervous system um, or reaching out to somebody in that moment 
or, um, you know, I mean, I think it comes with practice, but it also comes with calming ourselves down with that compassion piece um, and having other things to turn to in that moment. And, and, and baby steps, like maybe one day you do it okay and the next day maybe not, but not feeling like it has to be all at once um, because that tends to put a great deal of pressure on us as well. So anything to sort of ease the pressure of the situation, if that makes sense. Absolutely. It was uh, sort of a similar thing, although it had nothing to do with eating, but my daughter brought it up really well. She said, uh, my marks have not been great this semester, but I'm being very kind to myself, mm -hmm. considering mm -hmm. the circumstances. I think that kindness, and as you said, if the day before you did well, and the next day you're not, I think also a good thing is to focus on the fact that, you know, I did do well yesterday, therefore, you know, it, it, it's there in me to be able mm -hmm. to do that. I have curiosity about boredom and food. I yes. find that I don't know if boredom really is, again, something that's an effect of an emotion, but that seems to be another big trigger towards food. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and again, the, the thinking is similar in that rather than make the food the problem, let's explore the boredom. Where does that come from? Um, where did that start? What is it that I'd like to be doing? Um, just asking ourselves all kinds of questions. What else can I add to my day? Is there something in my day that I want to take out that I don't like doing anymore? Um, or is there something more interesting and exciting that I can put in my day? So again, getting really curious and also, again, that, that deep sense of compassion, just like you're investigating, like nothing means anything. There's no judgment around it, but just um, what else is possible here? I just find that funny because I know I'm a lot better at it now, but when I used to be bored, the horrible thing is, is I knew there were things I could do, but my boredom had reached such a level that I didn't even want to do the things that I knew would get me out of my boredom. I just ended up stuck in that space. And at the time, again, food was easy because it was easy. Mm -hmm. You know, it was simple. You just sit there and you go through that. And then it wastes that much time, which is interesting. It mm -hmm. makes time pass. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and so the one thing you said in there is it's easy, it's available, it's right there. And so there is something that happens to us where we become almost unable to sit in our discomfort or to even sit in our boredom. And that becomes part of the, the practice as well. Once we've gotten the tools to sort of calm our nervous systems enough to be able to do that. I, I understand that not everybody can go do that right away, but there, there does, there is this notion that we shouldn't ever be uncomfortable or we shouldn't ever be bored, which is not entirely true. And the, the less we make that a problem, sometimes then we don't need the comforts either. That's true. I guess people see boredom too, almost as a negative and it really isn't. Sometimes it's just something saying, well, why don't you just relax and do mm -hmm. something else that's easy? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, exactly. If it needs watching Netflix, then that's okay. Just not with a 
20 sandwiches in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's part of our culture too, is just this go, 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 do, do, do. And if you're not doing all the time, then there's something wrong, which just kind of fuels this pressure to feel like we have to be doing something when our innate self might say, no, you actually don't want to do anything right now. You actually do want to sit, you want to relax, you want to rest, you want to be still, and that's perfectly okay. And that's what we need. That's what our body needs in that moment. Um, if we can stop judging it and be with it and let that be okay. That's very true. And then another part of this, I'm pulling out all of these things that remind me of what it was like and what I associated, but then there's also food and perfectionism, how other mm. people perceive you. I've quite often said, some people say, well, you know, what is it like being bulimic? I said, well, the funny thing is I can't really associate with anorexics. I can't. You know, when I was bulimic, I couldn't, but I could associate with the overeaters. The only thing is, is the difference between them and I, because I had a sister-in-law who was quite heavy and I associated with her, but the only thing is they just didn't know that I was just quite similar to her where I would overeat. The only mm -hmm. thing is, is that you couldn't see it in me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there was that need to, for other people, how they see you, how I'm trying to think of how is that associated with the food, right? Because then you've got the perfectionism. I understand, of course, you're hiding because you're bulimic, but I think that that perfection somehow is a trigger as well. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. For many people with food issues, whether it's bulimia or just even like my chronic dieting, there is a message that perfection is a certain shape and size. And so that's something we take on from the culture or that you're doing good if you do things a certain way. And oftentimes, you know, we do grow up trying to be the good person and trying to do everything right. And so we take on food as a way to try to do everything right. Um, and, and again, for me coming out of that, it was the self-development to know that I'm worthy and valuable, whether I do anything, whether I make mistakes, um, and that failure is actually a great thing. Failure it just means you're trying new things. Um, and I had to really go into that and get comfortable with that in order to let go of worrying about what someone else was going to think about my body or me, because um, I'll never be able to control that anyway. So after a while, it seemed like, you know, not a very helpful thing to keep focusing on. Um, when I could instead focus on all the amazing things that I could do and that I wanted to do and find that way of being with myself um, instead of focusing on what other people thought. So have you really been like that since child? I know that you were saying you're sensitive, but like a people pleaser needing to be liked. Was that okay? Because I think that that's a common denominator as well. Um, Absolutely. And then, of course, the fear of being bullied, the fear of being made fun of, and mm -hmm. all of those would be triggers so that you're hiding behind this, this wall, I guess, from that instead of coming out and saying, you know, I'm okay. I mean, it mm -hmm. took me years to look in the mirror, and I mean, even with all my wrinkles today, I can look and go, you know what, you're really okay. <laughs> no? Yeah, but absolutely, absolutely. I do think that's definitely part of the paradigm, the perfectionism, the wanting to do the good thing, the right thing, people pleasing, wanting people to like you. Um, you know, it's, it's wanting safety and security and acceptance and all those great things. 
but we end up putting that in something that's beyond our control. Again, what other people think of us is nothing we'll ever be able to control. And so the practice is to go within to be able to source that security and that safety from within ourselves. So we always have access to it and nobody can take it away. That's true. And then I was thinking too, because one of the things that's difficult is that food is such a comfort as you were saying, because the other side of it is, and in case of bulimia, I would imagine, it's your best friend and your worst enemy. Mm -hmm. And when Mm -hmm. you stop making it, I mean, I always say make make friends with your food, but don't make food your best friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, that's important because I think it, it is a comfort. You don't get, you don't get rejected by it. You don't like it's, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, and it is comfort, but it's also, you're not treating it with respect when you're, when you're over, well, say overindulging, but, but putting too much emphasis on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, the key for me was getting to the place where I respected myself so much that the food became less of, um, there was less of a need for comfort from the food again, because I wasn't beating myself up as much anymore. I wasn't judging myself as much anymore. I was really working on my self-acceptance, my self-compassion, and really working on it for other people too, like accepting others, forgiveness of others, all of those juicy, good things that really give us that sense of safety and security um, without needing to go to something else like food. And, you know, it, it takes as long as it takes. For some people, they have the awareness and it grows quickly and others, it takes some time, but also not beating ourselves up for not being somewhere. It's, it's okay. I also kind of realized how this had been happening for me so that I could go through this process, so that I could grow, so that I could let go of all the expectations that I'd been putting upon myself, you know, since I could remember. Um, and it really helped me to, to go through that, that learning. That's that makes a lot of sense. Now I have one last question. So I know that <laughs> um, our time is coming up, but in regards to, I know that there's quite a few, I mean, I suffered from anxiety and depression and all of that. Um, anxiety, even after I've been 10 years um, recovered. And I found that some of the anxiety happened after I recovered, believe it or not, because I had to deal with my emotions and I didn't mm-hmm. have that to go to. So that was part of my anxiety, but the depression part I, I believe this, but I'm just curious about your opinion. I feel that the lack of nutrition, um, the, the, the improper eating did attribute, uh, contribute to the depression, to the, the certain mental states that I was going through. Uh, how do you feel about that? I, I mean, I think that's entirely true. Uh, there's a study, I don't know if you know the study with Ansel Keys back in the 1940s where they restricted the calories of a bunch of men. Um, I believe they were in the army because they wanted to see what would happen to, to a healthy body if you took some of the calories away. They didn't even take that many away, maybe, uh, maybe a third. Um, and the men started to exhibit signs of depression. They started to exhibit signs of food obsession. They started hoarding food. They started binging. They started sharing and comparing recipes. And these were all psychologically, physically healthy men in their twenties 
back in the 1940s. So it just goes to show there's, there's a huge cascade of psychological things that happen when we don't get proper nutrition, in addition to the whole cascade of emotional and physical things that happen. Um, and, and I think we tend to discount that and we don't realize the impact that not having enough nourishment can have. So I fully agree with you and agree with your point of now, after we stop using food to cope, we do have to deal with that anxiety, which was the thing all along in some way, shape or form. Um, and that's going to require, again, either getting comfortable with discomfort, because there's always going to be some kind of stress. Um, and just having compassion for ourselves, um, and, and finding different resources and tools in the toolbox. Um, but also recognizing that we don't want to use other things to mask the feelings either, because if we don't work through them one way or another, they're, we're just suppressing them in a different way. Absolutely. I started to chuckle. I mean, I, you know, at the beginning too, I guess there was a little bit of the, oh, I like my wine. But mm -hmm. the problem is, is the wine was numbing too. So, you know, yeah. that's not good either. And yeah. it's when, uh, was I brought this up, I, when I had my first sober cry, and I mean sober, that means without the wine, without the food, it was really an enlightening, open feeling. It was, it felt great and horrible at the same time. Obviously I'm crying about something, so it wasn't great. But then I thought, oh my goodness, I feel alive. You know, yeah. I feel I'm dealing with something that's, that's, you know, what seemed to be bigger than myself isn't mm -hmm. so now I really appreciate this and I would love Elizabeth if you can let our listeners know where they can find you sure um, you can find me at elizabethhallcoaching.com is my website um, I'm also on Instagram at elizabethhallcoaching um, you can email me Elizabeth at Elizabeth Hall coaching. If you have any questions about, um, intuitive eating, which we didn't talk about a lot today, but, um, that's just a, another structure and framework to bring compassion into our relationship with food. Perfect. We'll have to have you back to speak to that one. And I really thank you for covering this topic. I know that, uh, it's something that's important. And one thing that I really want is for people out there, you know, when I say that midlife uh, bulimia, it does exist. I want awareness to go out there. And I really appreciate your time being here with us today. And I just want to shout out there. I do have my book that's just been put out. It's how to have your cake and not eat it all too is a guide for uh, adult bulimia recovery. So again, thank you so much for being here. And thank I you. will be in touch with you because we'll have to get you back for the intuitive eating. Sounds great. And thank you for sharing this message. It's really important. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.